Welcome to the Student Ministry Podcast by LifeWay. Before we get started, we want to ask a small favor of you. If you haven't already, would you hop on your podcast platform of choice and leave us a rating and review, please? Uh, These help us get better and they help other people find us too. I'm your host, Ben Trueblood. Excited for another episode with you today. I'm here with Nathan Howard. What's up? And Katie Wiley. Hello. And... Joining us for today's episode, our special guest, the one and only Jeff Borton. Hey! It's good to see you, man. Uh, so Jeff is a great friend of mine. We've known each other for a lot of years now. Uh, kind of came up in student ministry on the around the same time, and we're in the same mm-hmm. environments there. Jeff uh, has a wealth of student ministry and next-gen ministry knowledge. Uh, served in student ministry at Christ Fellowship Church down in Miami. Uh, has led Next Gen Ministry at Long Hollow, serves now as the missions pastor there. And Jeff, super excited to have you on the episode today to talk about your new book that's coming out. Uh, at, in just a few days, this book is going to hit uh, shelves, hit Amazon, hit everywhere, your first 100 days in student ministry. And I love the, the second part of that and the 40 years that mm. follow. Uh, because that, man. Yeah, man. That is what we hope for people, right? Is that student ministry doesn't just exactly. last a short amount of time. So, dude, yeah, we are... there's, man, there's so much that can be gained from it. Yeah, I'm excited. I can't wait for it to come out. Lord willing, it's going to be a huge encouragement to people in student ministry at every level, you know? Yeah. Well, I can, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, um, man, I can tell you right now that this is one you're going to want to pick up. Uh, because I know Jeff and I've seen his heart for student ministry in action and his heart for people in action. And so, uh, that will come through in this book and, uh, man, I can't, I can't wait for people to get their hands on it. Let's start right here, uh, right out of the gate. Let's start with, uh, what happened in your heart to say, I want to write about the first 100 days and the 40 years that follow. Man, that that is a great question. I, I'd, I'd like to answer, man, it was this moment, but it really wasn't. Uh, it was probably a few years in the making. And, uh, you know, I felt like God was saying, hey, there, there's some things that we could just talk about in student ministry that that um, that would help the guys that are that are coming up, the guys and the girls at every level. I mean, I love student ministry. I love student ministry volunteers, student pastors, the whole deal. And uh you know, I, let me just say off the top, it is clear, and you'll see this when you read the book, that I don't have all the answers, and I'm not pretending to. But I think, you know, God was just working to me like, hey, if you if you could share your experiences um, and maybe share some insight of, of what you've learned, what went good, what went bad, that, that could be helpful. Uh, I know I love spending time with guys that have been, and ladies that have been in student ministry a long time because I feel like I can learn from them. And hopefully this is one of those conversations. So yeah, it's it was birthed over a long time, really. What what do you see happening in student ministry right now? Uh, that kind of makes you think, man, a book that really addresses both of those things: new people that are just starting out in student ministry, and an encouragement to those that are maybe five or six years in that look at a book like this and go, "Man, this is really something I want to do for forty years." Like, I'm not just yeah. here for a little while. So as you kind of yeah. observe the student ministry landscape, and I know you get out and speak and meet a lot of student pastors all over the place, 
What are you seeing that, that makes it this the right moment for that? Um, I think maybe we'd all agree. I think student ministry is tougher than it's ever been. And the beautiful thing is students are the same, but there's so many dynamics that impact students and student ministry that just make it tough. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of folks that that really want to do their best for the Lord and probably just don't have someone coming alongside them. Um, And so this is that you ask, like, hey, what are we seeing happening in student ministry? I think there's a lot of folks that are volunteers that are trying to lead student ministry. There are people that are part time or bivocational. Uh, there's people at every level that are just like, Hey, I, I I would just love some input on different areas. And so really, I hope this is, uh, an encouragement one for people that are just getting started. So yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's definitely hopefully helpful for those that are just getting started, um, because it kind of sets up a framework for the long game. And one of the things we talk about is, is you can't play the short game in student ministry. You can't just be thinking just a few weeks ahead and not thinking, hey, what are we going to produce 10 years down the road from now? And I think that's one of the overarching themes is, you know, who who are you becoming as a, as a student ministry leader? And then who are you developing over the long haul as a, as a student ministry leader? And so um, those are the, those are the big things, of course, things like discipleship and conversations about our own leadership and development and family tensions all those things that play a role into really the sustainability and longevity of healthy student ministry life. Yeah. You start the book off, I think, in the exact right place, and that's on calling. And I think one of the mm. cool things that you, well, I'll say this first. Uh, I was talk, having a conversation the other day with somebody, and they were saying, hey, what book is out there that can like really help with calling and connected mm. to student ministry? And I was thinking, well, I, we've got one coming, but right now, <laughs> like I remember, and one of the books that was given to me was that Power of the Call book that's huh. decades old now, uh, but yeah. that that's really like the classic on this. So there's not a lot out there that really deals with calling. And what I think is great right. about when you launch into that chapter in the book, you spend some time talking about like, hey, you you may be thinking through your calling right now. Like you may not have that Mm -hmm. moment where you have said, I experienced a calling and you kind of unpack that in the beginning stages of this book. So I'd love to get your responses to that and just that start with calling. And if somebody's saying like, man, I can't go back to that moment in my life. Talk us, talk us through how somebody walks through that. Oh, that's, uh, that's exactly it. You know, I think, the reason why we address calling first is because um, on the great days and on the very difficult days, it is so encouraging and sustaining to know that it's God who put you there. Mm. And so that's why anytime you're going to talk about student ministry, if you're going to commit to lead, um, the calling is really important. So, you know, I, I, I didn't have one of those moments where uh, it was all of a sudden, and I didn't, I didn't go forward. Some of my friends did. I, you know, different people contribute throughout the book and kind of share some of their experiences in ministry. I, I didn't have a, like a come down at a camp moment. Uh, for me, it was godly people at different phases of my life. The very first guy that discipled me uh, was one that was like, "Hey, you ought to, you ought to consider this," and I, I didn't see it in me. I really didn't. Um, and then, you know, this, this couple other men in my life that were godly and I trusted to me, you ought to to pray about this. So um, 
I, I'd want to encourage people that like, if you're seeking the call and trying to understand it, that's a great place to be. Right. And then knowing that God has called you and the, and the book walks through some of that, like, why does your calling matter? Um, what is, what does it look like? Um, it, you know, clarity and power and confidence, all that comes from knowing that it's God who called us. So I, I would just encourage, you know, if you, if you know, you're called, uh, this first chapter is really going to help you think through, and hopefully clarify your calling. And if it's something you're wrestling with, like we got folks that are volunteering or maybe part-time saying, do I want to do this with my life? Mm. Uh, I think it helps bring some clarity. Yeah. So you are a family man. Uh, you yeah. married son who is out of college. Right. Uh, m- more in the house with you now that are uh, yep. elementary school age and coming up. Um, mm-hmm. I know you spend some time in the book too, talking about the most important relationships yeah. in the journey of student ministry. Uh, yeah. and I, I don't think we could spend this podcast time and just jump past the importance of having our eyes on those kinds of relationships. Um, what are some things you've learned along the way, uh, both as a student pastor and as someone who actively leads student pastors? Uh, coaches them, those kinds of things, specifically in the areas of relationships they need in their lives. Yeah. Man, that's good. You know, uh, as you were speaking, it reminded me of some of the books that helped shape me. Doug Fields, Your First Two Years in Student Ministry, great book. Like, there were so many things in a lot of the early student ministry books that were helpful. And then, and, and it was a different time. So this is not throwing shade at all, but I realized there are some things that just weren't talked about as much. Um, but this is one of those themes that's been timeless in student ministry. And so, uh, yeah, you know, um, our, our pastor says it this way. He says, you know, you can lose your ministry and have your family, but if you lose your family, you've lost everything. Um, and I think one of the tensions that we, we face in student ministry is that we absolutely love our jobs. We love the people we serve. And most of us, probably are are a type of execution oriented where we love to get things done. And it is easy in the pursuit of honoring God and leading people to Christ to kind of put our families on the back burner. And so uh, one of the things we talk about is balancing that tension. And how do you, how do you um, nurture the most important relationship you have with your family? Uh, You know, I, I, um, I was a workaholic when I first got married and I'm, you know, I mean, 70, 80 hours a week and, um, <clears throat> the Holy spirit through my wife, you know, <laughs> wives are often our Holy spirit was like, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, we're, this is not how things are done. And, and it took me a while. Like, it, it, you know, one of the things is if you love to work a bunch and you think, Hey, I'm going to get married and that'll all change it. it you, you've got to work on that ahead of time. But, uh, one of the things that, uh, the Lord really instilled in me early on. It was like, man, don't be so busy raising someone else's kids that you neglect your own. Mm. Uh, don't, don't focus so much on the spiritual life of people in your church that your kids resent who you, you know, who you are and what you do and ultimately dislike the church as a result. Um, and so those are some themes that in my own life really started to hammer down on me. And it is always a tension. It's always yeah. a battle. It is never like, uh, hey, I got to figure it out. That's not true. We, my wife and I had a conversation two days ago about my schedule. And mm. so uh, it is an ongoing tension, but it is good. Yeah. Man, I, I think the openness 
I mean, you talked about two days ago having this conversation. I think the openness to to hear from that and to be vulnerable and not defensive to hear those kinds of things yeah. is is a key part of it. What would you say to somebody who's dealing with this? Uh, because we know people are right. We know that that yeah. as you talked about that, there's somebody that's going, man. I I wonder if I need to have that conversation. What would what advice would you give somebody to say that's saying, I feel the pressure to be the workaholic coming from supervisors, coming from my pastor, oh, yeah. coming from those who lead me, that that's kind of fueling that, that workaholism, so to speak. What would you tell somebody that's in that situation? Uh, that's a great question. I think, uh, I think it starts with a conversation with your significant other and what, what's their perception. Um, meaning, you know, it, it may not be as bad as you think, and it may be significantly worse than you think. But I think an honest conversation with your, your spouse um, would um, give you an opportunity. Before I went to my boss, I would want to know what my needs were uh, and, and how things needed to change for me. Um, and I think, and I, I mean this very lovingly, I love the Big C Church. I love the church. Um, but we, it's not uncommon, like you're saying, Ben, for supervisors out of one side of their mouth to say, you need to love your family. You need to honor them. And out of the other side say, Hey, don't, don't you hide behind your family, man. You got work to do. So I always use the word tension because I feel like that's what it is, right? Like, I don't, I don't think there's a clear cut every time, but I would say, sit down with your spouse and Hey, do you tell me honestly what you see? You tell me what, what's missing in this house. If your kids can talk about it, talk to your kids. And then knowing what you need to change, that's when I'd, I'd go to my boss and say, listen, here's what here's my family and I have been evaluating. Here's where we are. And I, that's the first place I would start. Hopefully the, the supervisor would respond with, well, let's, let's see how you can do that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, think, I think too, Ben, there's a lot of times when uh, we put the pressure on ourselves and can also kind of blame our boss for that, but yeah. we're good at putting the pressure on ourselves, you know? And so I think some of that has to be an honest evaluation of saying, wait a minute. All right. How much is really coming from them? And how much is me wanting to please? Like mm. I'm an Enneagram three, bro. I love to please. I love approval. And so a lot of my drive that I've had to evaluate and repent of has been a lot less for my boss and a lot more for myself. And so, <laughs> man, that, that is a uh, direct bullseye to me as well um, <laughs> on the <laughs> both on the Enneagram and the pressure to please. Man, you, yeah. you articulated something that, uh, that I've walked through, probably will walk through again in this oh, yeah. dynamic is like it's easy for, for me in the way I'm built to put internal pressure. And then when the pressure release valve starts to sing at me to think, man, where all this pressure is coming from somebody else, but in true evaluation, I think more often than not, if if I sit still long enough, it's like no, you are doing you are doing more of this than other people. Even if there is pressure yeah. from others, you are putting sure. more of this on yourself. So, man, I I have been there before too. Uh, man, in those moments, like, what are some of the things that you do that you enjoy doing just to kind of clear your headspace, just to rest, to find 
a break to evaluate that stuff. Cause there's so much noise and there's so much to do in ministry. And honestly, there's so much to do in family life. Where do you go to find the break to really say, how am I doing? Mm. Uh, there's a couple ways. And, um, man, the easy one would be, man, I love getting away with some of my friends and go shoot stuff and hang out like that. Those of course are, incredibly phenomenal times, you know, but let's be realistic. Uh, if you're counting on that once a year, or once every couple of years or whatever, you, you can't maintain healthy, yeah. uh, a healthy perspective. So is there a piece of that? Man, absolutely. Where you, you can just get away, whether it's with your family or friends, whatever you do, uh, on a weekly daily basis, things like for me, um, and, and, and here's, here's just full transparency. I can tell when I haven't been doing this because that's when my stress levels mm. and my life becomes frenetic. But the first one is just, we, we call silence and solitude, like trying to sit for me, uh, when the weather's nice, if it's not, you know, when the weather's nice, get on the front porch, if it's not sit out back, but the, you know, sitting in a rocking chair and, and, uh, just watching and trying to spend 20, 30 minutes of just being quiet mm. and listening, uh, for God, not, I'm, I'm not praying. Um, I, I do pray, but in those moments, I'm not praying. I'm not reading scripture. I, I, I kind of quote some scripture to just kind of calm my mind down. And uh, that didn't happen overnight. You know, I don't, I didn't get to 20 to 30 minutes instantly, usually about the two minute marker. I'm like, oh yeah, but wait, what needs to be done? You know, mm -hmm. but those moments where I try to carve out and I just sit and can be still does incredible wonders. It doesn't cost anything other than my discipline to make it happen. So that's a big one. Uh, another one is something that I've learned from a book called white space. And so white space is when I, on a professional level, <clears throat> I try to schedule an hour or two and I go somewhere and I just, I just try to dream and think and think about what issues we have and what needs to be corrected, but there's no music, there's no people, there's no, there's no talking. It's just a, an opportunity to sit and evaluate. And sometimes it's, oh, I can come up with an answer during that time. But sometimes it's just being truthful. And I think, I think Ben, one of the reasons that we, we get into these, and, and honestly, that's why we had a conversation two days ago, because I have just been running wide open and haven't been doing all that I should, uh, is because we don't create the space to do it. And it's easy to blame schedules. It's easy to blame. We all have stuff to do. We all do. But we can all create space. And I think creating that space to stop and be honest. Uh, we, we lie most often to ourselves, right? Like we're the best liar to ourselves that we can handle it. We can do this. This is not a big deal. Let me punch that out. And the truth is we, we can tell ourselves we don't have time to create space, but we do. Um, and creating space for that time of reflection, uh, it's, it's been key for me. Man, I think that's super helpful because I think when we talk about getting away, I think in our minds, most people go to, I've got to really get away. Like the retreat thing that you started talking about at first, but, yeah. but man, I'm really struck by that 20 minutes daily or that 20 minutes a few times a week to just get in the discipline. And I'm like you, I think at first, that's not a practice I have right now. Uh, but I think at first I would be like, Okay, checking my watch and being like, how much time has gone by? <laughs> like it has, I bet it feels so slow yeah. when oh, you yeah. first start doing that. But the value of that to just 
be still. And it's kind of that be still and know, right? Like I'm just going to sit and rest in this. And that's, that's the verse that I use. Um, and I have this little routine that I do to just kind of help calm my mind. Uh, it's not like, you know, meditate. I don't know. It's nothing weird. It's just <laughs> quoting scripture in my head, you know, yeah. but my mind naturally, I'm, I'm telling you that the first thing, like it just, I think an honest question we can all ask is when is the last time you just sat and did not concern yourself with what needs to be done or what is happening around you. Like most of us probably can't think of the time mm. one, cause we think we're either bad stewards of our time if we do that, or we just have never created the space. And, uh, if, you know, we talk about that short term, long term thing, the short term, you, you can go full on, you can, you can, you know, make it happen all the time. Uh, how does that impact you long term? Yeah. So what, what are some small disciplines now do for you and your family if you'll start to practice those now? Yeah. And that gets you to that 40 years rather uh, than Lord willing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, well, I want to make a pretty hard shift away from okay. like the personal health side of this, which you spend a good deal uh, talking about in the book, but you also, man, there's some really great practical this is how student some best practices kind of stuff for student ministry in there too. Uh, yeah. And I know you, and I know you're a strategic thinker. I know you are execution. Like you, you get things done. Uh, and I was drawn because I, I enjoy this side of ministry too in the strategy and execution piece. And you have, you spend a chapter uh, the the title of the chapter is hope is not a strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you go into that and talk about the strategic side of ministry and getting things done. Um, and man, I, I'd love for you to unpack a little bit of the importance of that in this moment, because you, you mentioned earlier, and I think I've noticed this, that man, we have a lot of, uh, there are a lot of student, and this isn't a knock against student ministry or student pastors, that there are many right. student pastors who love teenagers called to ministry and maybe yes. don't have the people to walk alongside them in a mentoring. And so they, they just don't have access to some of the tools in the toolbox that others have because of those relationships. And right. I would say also say it is true. Great group of student pastors that love student ministry, love people called to it, but don't know how to turn on the strategy piece how important. And then I would love for you to unpack a little bit about how to tap into that piece of student ministry. Mm. Oh, that's, that's good. And and it's amazing. You said that is because I really learned it from walking alongside someone that understood strategy. And so, um, first, let me say this, that the caring for yourself and giving yourself space and time for your family is not in opposition to being strategic and right. having having a mindset of wanting to do your best. Those those two things aren't at odds. In fact, if you want to excel in either one, they both have to exist, right? Mm-hmm. You like you have both hands, and so uh, yeah, the idea. Of, I mean, even the idea that hope is not a strategy is a phrase that I've heard forever. But um, I, I mean, I, I have hope. I have hope in Christ. The point is this: is that you, you can't do a bunch of things and hope you land at the place where you want to land uh, without a plan to get there, right? Like, you know, if I'm going to drive from here to to Huntington Beach, California, I'm going to put in a map and might, you know, put it in ways and 
I want to be strategic in how I get there. I think uh, a lot of great minded folks want to make disciples who make disciples and really are just thinking about the Wednesday or the Sunday coming up. Let's do that. And then let's just hope we get to the place that we want our students to be. And so the, the whole idea is how do we think through a ministry strategy, a journey uh, in the book, we call it a pathway. Uh, how do we help students take sequentially more committed, deeper spiritually steps uh, in following Christ? And listen, we know this, we know programs, programs don't make great Christ followers. They don't, right? Obviously it's the Lord in us. Um, you know, it's the Lord who does the changing, but we have to put ourselves in environments to grow. And so that's really the idea of, of strategic thinking is what, you know, what kind of student do we want to produce? And I know that sounds a little corporate, but what, what kind of student do we want to produce? If a student comes in as a sixth grader and they're going to graduate from high school, what should that student know? What, what do we want them to look like, for lack of better phraseology, meaning like what, what, what characteristics, what godly disciplines, what what are the things that we hope that they've learned and instilled as a result of being a part of this student ministry? So, um, yeah, the, the idea of strategy is how do we think through that? And then a big part of that is how how do we lead through all that? So strategy isn't just telling people where to go and what to do, but it has to be a change in me and a, and a leadership through me or through the leader as a whole for others to be able to follow. And so there's a lot. And I think, uh, you know, whether you've been in it, you know, a year or 30 years, I think there's some some nuggets that you can grab onto. Man, I love that you start off saying, man, I learned strategy and how to use mm-hmm. that side of my brain from somebody else who was really good strategically. And I yep. think, man, there there's somebody, student pastors, ministry leaders that are listening to this. There's somebody in your church that is a strategic thinker. They may not be on your church staff. I mean, hopefully there's some, hopefully that there's someone there, but there, there may, there may not be, and that's fine. Uh, there may, but there is someone in your church from the business world, from some that has some kind of role that is very strategic that, Hey, what would it look like for you to have lunch with this person once a month and just come prepared, pick their brain, ask them how to develop strategy this is available to you. I don't believe that strategic thinking in general is a born with skill. I believe it's something that can be learned and developed. Now, there are yep. just freaks that are <laughs> born with it and they think that yep. way and they are on another level. But for the most part, to, in order to lead effective student ministry you can develop the skill of strategy and execution. We yeah. just take the extra step to say, I'm going to be intentional by developing this thing. Mm-hmm. Man, you, uh, well, I mean, I, 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 I gotta be honest. That was my story. My first few years. I mean, I, I worked in ministry. It was 60, 70 hours a week. And I felt like so much was getting done and I was spinning my tires. Mm. You know, I just felt like I was spinning in place and then when I came along someone, beside someone who understood the strategy piece, I said, wait a second. So if you're going to be strategic, it means not only do you got to do some things, but you got to quit doing some other things. And I felt like instantly, almost instantly, that what I was doing took on significantly more meaning because I had a direction that I was going in. And I think that's the encouragement is like, yes, you can do tons of great stuff, but 
it is so much more meaningful when you're headed in a direction and you are moving that way and you can see the progress. Yeah. So maybe one of the ways to, uh, like <laughs> as you're listening to this, if you're saying, man, is that me? Uh, l- let's take Jeff's example real quick and say, if you are working a ton and you turn around and go, what was accomplished? And mm-hmm. like, y- there's not a lot on the, then maybe you need to do some work on developing the strategy muscle. Uh, you yeah. talked about, you set me up perfectly for the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Oh, from sweet. The book. Uh, so you talked about taking some of the things off your plate and the importance yep. of saying, man, I, I need to focus on these things. Some of those things that you need to focus on might be things you don't enjoy doing. It, oh boy. It's easy, right? Like it's easy for us to say, sweet. I, I, I can take things off my plate. Let me make a pile of the things I don't like to do and just push them away. But that's not leading ministry either. And no. I, man, it's, it's so good to see that you spent a chapter saying like, Hey, there's going to be some things you don't like doing, but they're absolutely yeah. necessary. Uh, what are some of those? And maybe a couple things on how you got in your mind. Okay. I've got to do these. And so I need to do them well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I told you, I love student ministry, but we have a, we have been broad brushed for not doing some things well, right? Like, yes. Um, I mean, if I don't know if this is a curse word in student ministry or not, seats is just a simple example, right? Like keeping track of how we spend money. Um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of things. And to, to Ben's point, uh, a lot of times we just take the things off our plate that we don't like to do, but some of those things were the only one that came. So man, um, there were things that, and I, and I write about this, but there are things that, that I had to learn. One is, is, um, how I approach money at the church. Now mm. I never went over budget, did that sort of thing. Uh, I know some people do, and it's not a big deal. So that, that's not the conversation as much as this is that keeping details of why we spend money. So part of that strategy thing, it also involves your money. It involves your time. Like, yeah. Hey, for the money that I'm spending, is it really producing the fruit that I hope? But, uh, one of those was money and handling receipts and reporting on time and all that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't like confrontation at all. You know, I mean, you know, parents are mad, whatever. Um, I didn't like dealing with confrontation. And so learning how to navigate difficult conversations and really, um, this is one of the things over the last few years God has taught me about confrontation is uh, having a restorative mindset. Like my mindset going into it changes the whole conversation. And so I talked some about that, but like having this mindset of being restorative, that restoration is the goal, not winning, not proving somebody wrong. But confrontation was a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and firing people, if you have to do that, is, is horrible. Um, handling tough topics and keeping a, one, one big one is keeping a, keeping a tight calendar. Like, yeah. Hey, if I manage my time, well, a lot of the stuff that we just discussed, uh, changes dramatically. And so those are some of the hard things that, that we kind of talk about, but that were very, uh, influential in my life. They seem like somebody may hear that and go, that's, that's nothing. Well, that it wasn't true for me. Uh, some detail in those areas, uh, made my time far more effective and, uh, 
it changed my credibility really as a student pastor. I think one of the things that we can never overlook is that we're not just in student ministry. We, we want to be credible ministers of the gospel who people don't say, oh, they're, they're student ministry. Just give them a pass. I don't, I don't want to live like that. You know, I want to be, I want to have a, uh, a reputation that says, man, they're responsible. They're godly. They're getting this done. And those were all little nuances that had to change about me. Yeah, man, that's good. I, I am a big proponent of student pastors changing the stigma of unorganized and yeah. I lose my receipts and I go over budget and all of those things. I think, I think we need to have some people that take ownership of that and reverse, reverse the, the wrong perception that that is the case. I can go soapboxy yeah. real fast on that topic. Uh, I won't, I won't, I won't, but that is, man, it just, it crawls all over me when it's like just accepted that that is going to, that that's going to be the case. Yeah. You know, you mentioned one of the hard things is firing people. Uh, and there, people that are listening to this, I don't want you to move past that so quickly and think, well, I don't have a staff at my church, so I'm not yeah, going to be firing that's people. Good. Because it is really difficult when you see that maybe there's a one of your volunteer leaders in a wrong seat yeah. and you have to have that conversation too. While it's, mm-hmm. while we probably wouldn't label it firing that's a difficult people conversation and one oh, that man. is both necessary and really difficult. So mm-hmm. I want, I just wanted to call that out for you that are listening to this and make sure that you catch that you catch that as well. Uh, Jeff, I want to, that's, end- that's really good. That's, that's been some of my hardest conversations is people oh, that man. you love and you know, they're in the wrong seat. Like we, I mean, we talk about that some, but Ben, that is such a great point. Like we, we've got to be better at that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a harder conversation to have than firing somebody who is on staff for you. You know, I I was thinking, my mind hadn't solidified the thought yet, but I was heading there too, because mm-hmm. I've I've had to do both, mm-hmm. and it's almost like when there is employment, like there's hopefully if as a leader you've done your your job, then there is a track record of performance that you can say. Like, let's talk about this for real. We've talked about this before and you have this handbook, but when you're in the church and you've got to have that conversation with a volunteer, the leader, what do you say when they're just like, man, I'm just trying to serve the Lord. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, you're serving him wrong, I guess. I don't, you know, like that's obviously that's not the right answer, but like that conversation is way different for somebody yeah. who's, who's trying to be that volunteer leader. And I think, man, in those, yeah. in those times for me, Sometimes I've done it better than others. The times that have gone well, I've really tried to think through where does this person fit and have a conversation about where they can serve along yeah. with why it's not working out in this specific situation. Then that's because that's discipleship. That's helping someone find the place of their best fit in serving in ministry. Yeah. And don't hear that as man, Ben did that every time because that is not the case. Uh, Jeff, I want to, I want to go towards uh, the last thing here and it's where you actually finish the book as well. Uh, and that's the scorecard. Um, you talk about a new scorecard here and you tell a great story, a story that I I absolutely love at the beginning of that chapter, uh, with Matt Emmons, who is the the U S Olympic sharpshooter that was about to win gold. For those of you that don't know the story, it was about to win gold 
and lined up and took the shot and hit a bullseye, but it wasn't his target that he hit a bullseye on and ended up dropping Mm. all the way out of Mm. metal contention. And man, that is a story that speaks to so many parts of life, but it speaks directly to ministry and like you can hit a bullseye, but it be the wrong target happens so so often. And I'd love for you to talk uh, just a little bit about that new scorecard and the approach to developing that, uh, that you mentioned in your book. Man, that's, uh, that's one of my favorite chapters. Uh, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, if you pick up the book, hopefully it feels more like a conversation than it does. You know, my, my hope would be that it's transparent enough that it feels like we're just sitting down and having a conversation like this. But this is one of those that was um, formative for me early on in ministry. Uh, I had always thought, man, if if my scorecard is if I need to have, you know, one of one of the bigger student ministries around whatever context I was in, and I just needed wanted wanted to be known for that. I, it's crazy how the perception and influence of others mm. and help you create a scorecard that maybe. Uh, isn't the scorecard that God has for you. Mm. And so uh, do I believe that God wants our ministries to grow? I, I do. I, and I'll always believe that because there are lost people and we want to reach them. Right. So, uh, you know, I talk some about the numbers game and the numbers game. Do Am I saying growth is wrong? No. Am I saying that you should not do things? To grow? I'm not saying that either. I'm saying that uh, there's mo- so much more to ministry than just the number of students that are sitting in front of you every Wednesday night. Because uh, if you all like me, I mean, that means <laughs> that the nights there was a bunch of kids, I felt like I was killing it. And the night that there was games and some other things, I was the youth, worst youth pastor in the world. You know, uh, And that was a hard way to live. So, uh, so a new scorecard, you know, isn't just that uh, – I have X amount of kids or that people think this way about me um, or, or my own comparison. You know, I had an issue with compare. I was, when I was at a small church, when I first started, I always, I always thought bigger churches were out to get me and steal my kids. And, and uh, I just, you know, for me, I just sought approval and validation from a lot of places and did not really consider, you know, at the end of the day, when I stand before God, what, what's God's scorecard going to be? Mm. Um, and so new type of scorecard is, yeah, I mean, should we, should we want to grow our student ministry? Yeah, absolutely. But we should also be uh, discipling and, and growth looks different in every place, right? Like, I mean, there's no like, Hey, you should, you should hit this. And that's what God finds you sex. Well, that's, that's not this conversation. This conversation is, we should doing our best to always lead students to Christ, but there's also um, discipling kids. Like what, what kind of disciple are we making? If you lead a thousand kids to Christ in X amount of years and in a year of them coming to Christ, they're, they're not walking with Jesus anymore. Mm. And we didn't really have a plan to help them. What, where, where did the scorecard help us, help us if it was yeah. just to see them come to Christ? And so, but there are other elements. There's our, there's our families, you know, can we, do our wives love us? Like after being in ministry, do our kids still think we're their hero, even after being in ministry? 
Um, what about our, our leaders that we develop and all those folks that we've led? Where are, where are they at as a result of our leadership? So I think the idea of a scorecard is so much bigger than just what's sitting in front of you. Man, that's good. Well, Jeff's new book, Your First 100 Days in Student Ministry and the 40 Years That Follow is going to be available on May 1st. So if you're listening to this at release time, it's just a couple of days away. So yeah. go pre-order it, get it shipped to you in whatever way you like to order books. Uh, Jeff, man, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation and for pouring in to us and to all the listeners today. We really appreciate it. Man, I've loved every minute. Thank you, guys. Hey, we'll be back right after this quick message for a little bit more discussion on today's topic. So hang right in there, and uh, we'll see you in a second. With Parent Partner, planning and scheduling a month of parent ministry content is easier than ever. For just $15.99 a month, Parent Partner provides customizable digital monthly content for you to send directly to parents to help them make the most of four regular weekly discipleship moments with their students. When parents feel prepared to disciple their teenagers, everyone wins. To learn more and subscribe, visit lifeway.com slash parentpartner. All right, super excited about Parent Partner and super excited about that conversation we just had with Jeff. Honestly, he is one of my favorite people on the planet. And I think he has so much that we can learn from so much that we can, uh, that we can grow in. And I'm, man, the fact that he's written this, this book is, is incredible. So uh, student pastors, I would encourage you, uh, to get it now. There's some going to be some stuff in there too, for your leaders that you can, they can learn alongside you as you, dive into Jeff's book, uh, Your First 100 Days in Student Ministry and the 40 Years That Follow. Um, let's talk about it today, though. In uh, This is our new format. We've been a couple months, so let, let's talk through what we learned today. Volunteers, who wants to go first? Katie, Nathan? I, I really liked how Jeff, I, I think he's right. I think there's a lot of practical things in student ministry, but I, like, I really liked how he addressed a few things that in the book, talking about rest, talking about I think a lot of the things that he's starting to address are the things that like we hear people say we don't take seriously until we hit those oh crap moments those yeah. oh it's I've got to take this seriously which usually a couple years in ministry like you said we've realized we really are just spinning our wheels yeah. and so you know to have hopefully for newer student pastors to have a little bit of wisdom discernment when you've heard all these people say hey this is something to really take seriously to grab a hold of that on the front end yeah you know and to set, set yourself up for success that way. Man, I think that's super important because a couple of years in, you've learned your habits, right? Like yep. you've created the way that you do ministry. Now, you can unlearn those things and you can re-educate yourself into other into other patterns that are more healthy, but like you said, man, if you can knock them out and develop healthy patterns on the front end, that's then you can look at 40 years later. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I like that the focus really is on longevity and I would hate for people to miss out on this book because it sounds like, oh, it's just a book for yeah. newbies. Like I'm not new. I've been in this for a lot of years or maybe just a few years, but uh, to not miss, um, to kind of go back to the beginning and refocus on developing those healthy habits that will improve your longevity. And it's not just, oh man, I survived 40 years, but I really yeah. was healthy and thriving and, and able to sit in that role um, and yeah, and thrive. Yeah. yeah. There's probably moments along the way where it's like, man, I survived that. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but at the, but if you stand back and look at the total timeline, like the things that he walks through in that book is really, to use your word, like how can you thrive in this? Even among the moments where it's like, whew, 
made it through that one. Yeah, it's not just like I didn't get fired, but really (laughs) (laughs) I was able to keep keep a healthy view of my call in front of me throughout that time, even though there are moments of survival for sure. Yeah, I love his chapter on the scoreboard, uh, Mm -hmm. the scorecard. I think it's so, so, so important. And the thing that, man, like I'd be honest, like my my struggle in that, you heard me talk a little bit about it and like the pleasing of others and making sure that they're happy with my work and that kind of stuff that's been something that I've wrestled with and probably still will. But just the, uh, are you following a scorecard scorecard that someone else made for you? Mm-hmm. Are you following mm-hmm. other people's scorecard? Or are you asking the question, like, what's God's scorecard for me? Yeah. What's the scorecard that I'm developing for myself based on what God's called me to? Uh, and I don't think that's a discounting of the scorecard that your supervisor, pastor, executive pastor, whatever gives to you, because there's going to be some of that. Like, Hey, here's some goals we want you to chase after. That's not a dismissal of that. But I think what Jeff's getting at when he talks about, are you living your life by other people's scorecard is, are you doing everything you do to please someone else Mm -hmm. thus creating this unhealthy cycle? Or are you saying, Hey, what's God calling me to do right here? And I think there's there's a vast, there's a vast difference between those two things. Yeah. Yeah. I liked how he also said that with the think thinking truthfully. Yeah. So like, I know that hit home for me a lot of like, man, if I'm not careful, the scorecard I've kind of been given, then I can morph that into all these extra things that I put on myself mm-hmm. and responsibilities. And so it's like my scorecard, then I kind of change it and I'm putting more pressure on certain areas that maybe no one else has and I'm not really, you know, being truthful to what the calling is or whatnot. Yeah. What's interesting about that is that is really now we're we're not going to go down too far the Enneagram rabbit hole here, but that speaks specifically to my, to me as a three and you as a one, Mm -hmm. your scorecard, you make it bigger and bigger and bigger and add all these tasks onto it. It really does like this thing really does play with our personality Mm -hmm. style and can send us down an unhealthy road in a lot of different ways, if we're not constantly centered on the way he starts the book, what's God called me to Mm -hmm. and how do I need to live for him? Well, this was a fun one. Uh, Make sure you check out Jeff Borton's first 100 days in student ministry and the 40 years that follow. And we will see you next time on the student ministry podcast. Bye life. Bye.